Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 11 I have faith in your survival instinct. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 4 of Buffy. <laughs> Alright, just keep going. I'm going to start again, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just cut it out. I'm, back I'm sorry. No, it's her. I, <laughs> is it because I dropped the G? <laughs> and, and I, I don't know why the giggles all of a sudden. And I noticed it, but then I saw your face like go into concentration mode of okay, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Again, as I'm thinking, okay, like, no, it's okay, we can recover. I see you kind of go, like, I can, I'm not going to laugh. And then it made me laugh. Right, right. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, all right. It's all good. All right. Welcome to episode 11 I think you were saying all right as I was starting. (laughs) Um, Fourth time's the charm. Welcome to episode 11 I have faith in your survival instinct. This week we're discussing season 5, episode 4 of Buffy, Out of My Mind, as well as the Doctor Who 50th anniversary bonus materials. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. Okay. Buffy this week. Um... So, I want to kind of start with uh, Riley and Spike. I feel like there's crossover here, but we'll start for real with Riley um, and go through it. But I do kind of want to bring up the two of them together a bit, because I think Mm. they're kind of paralleled in a number of ways this episode. Um, Sure. Between, like... um, you know, their respective chips that they're having to get removed. Um, and then as, you know, kind of romantic and, you know, sexual tension are, you know, a factor with Buffy. Um, mm. And so, and I think it's kind of interesting that the way they're, that sort of made explicit in the beginning when they both kind of turn up in the graveyard, you know, that Buffy is out patrolling and you know each of them independently kind of turn up you know for different reasons obviously like spike this is the only way he can get his sort of you know energy expelled and do a bit of you know have a good fight and you know blow some steam and you know for riley it's obviously this like excessive um you know uh, hyperactivity that he has to deal with and everything but you know even though one of them is sort of you know Buffy's boyfriend and the other is sort of her one of her kind of nemesis um Mm -hmm. it's still they're kind of put in parallel like Spike kind of enjoys the fact that Buffy doesn't want Riley there either you know and he kind of says like oh neither boy is welcome and there's like this suggestion that in in that context they're both kind of an annoyance um 
sure. you know, obviously for different reasons. Like, you know, one, because Buffy loves Riley and wants to protect him, and that's not, you know, Spike's just in the way and annoying her. Um, but, you know, for an episode that kind of has Riley questioning his relationship and all these insecurity issues, it's kind of interesting that it starts by putting him in comparison to Spike, of all people. Um, mm. And I think, like, those little parallels sort of continue all the way through the episode. Um, so, yeah, and, I mean, we can talk more specific parallels as we go through, but I at least want to point that out going forward, that um, I think it's an interesting kind of way to kick off the episode. Um, sure, sure. So, but to start with Riley in particular, um, we're getting a follow-up on this, uh, you know, his story from the end of the last season with the initiative. Um, right, right. And, like, we saw his, forget what episode it was partic- in particular, but the one where they kind of, he kind of went cold turkey from whatever, you know, chemicals or medicine or whatever that the initiative had him on. So it's sort of expanding on that idea. And um, it's kind of an interesting, to talk about the initiative for a moment, it's kind of interesting to me that apparently the initiative are kind of still a factor, you know, and still out there, Mm. which is a little bit unexpected because I felt like it was kind of definitive at the end of the last season, not that they were totally gone, but there was this kind of, you know, yeah, I I would say I don't know that we're supposed to see the initiative if, and like that particular program still being out there, mm-hmm. but definitely like military, like there's there's still governmental right people sort of out there doing things. Um and and like so when Graham shows up, we get sort of the the quick uh reference that you know, he's like, we've been after Riley for weeks to get this right. procedure done. So it's like, it's not even that they like just show up out of the blue, but they're that they're kind of hanging around They've watching there, Riley. Yeah. And you get like Buffy speaking into the phone, knowing into Riley's phone, knowing that like somebody's going to hear her and you kind of hear the clicks, you know, like, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, there's, there's something going on. So yeah, like definitely. And they, they, they kind of, in the end are hinting at like, that that's still um, something they're trying to persuade him as like you belong with yeah. us, not which implies there is there is an us. There's something there for him to do. Um, right. It's that thing it's, of like government programs never actually stop; they just get renamed. You know, yes. like like yeah. it, transferred it, to new people who didn't screw right. it up. And, oh, we're yeah. no longer running. You know, yeah. MK Ultra, where you know it's now some other program. You know, it's it's whatever. Like you know, or or like with all the NSA programs. Oh, we're we're no longer, you know, doing whatever program that was spying on Americans. We are doing this other program that just happens to also be spying on Americans. It's it's you know yeah. this kind of thing where like you you just kind of keep recycling the same ideas, even though. But yes, like the initiative is done, and and like I don't think we're meant to like think that they're still like under you know, the Sunnydale campus or anything like they're right. They they might still be around, but it's not the same exact people. It's not the same exact thing. It's something else at this point. Right. Right. 
Yeah, no, and I did get that, that like the facility itself is gone and they've moved on, but um, I wasn't necessarily expecting to hear from them, you know. Sure, uh, sure. So, yeah, to have these guys kind of some more of these, um, you know, soldier friends of Riley's kind of turn up who are still apparently involved in some sort of program, you know, and still kind of recruiting him um, mm -hmm. was kind of unexpected, I think. Yeah. Um, and and did you like the name of Graham's companions? The names? Uh, you'll have to remind me what they were. I don't know if I caught uh, them. Uh, Goodman and Brown. Was so it? like, okay. like uh, yeah, young Goodman Brown that. is the, uh, you know, Nathaniel funny. Hawthorne. But sure. I mean, and like, I don't, other than that, that's like a creepy, you know, sort of supernatural story. Like, I don't know right. that there's any connection per se to the storyline here, but yeah. it's just kind of a, a funny uh, little pairing. And it, you know, it's kind of like that. They're, you know, nondescript government agents that, you know, they're probably code names, you know, like. The, right. maybe not even their real name or whatever but right. um anyway yeah i'm surprised actually that wasn't in the wikipedia cultural references section for this episode <laughs> so i may have to add that um <laughs> in, funny. in my extensive wikipedia editing uh, capabilities so yeah uh anyway the the yeah there's definitely an idea of you know graham and and i think the other thing is too like like, we don't know how much of it is, I mean, like, it seems like it's official because Graham is still, you know, sort of a, sort of a company man. Yeah. Um, and we did get the reference at the end of last season to Graham being one of the few who survived, right? There was, there was mm -hmm. like pretty heavy casualties we learn of, you know, yeah. from, um, you know, the big fight between the demons and the people, you know, the soldiers and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but Graham not only survives, but he's sort of a company man and kind of is in Riley's position now he's kind of the leader right. it seems of their crew or whatever and um and 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 i think the thing that i find that's interesting about that is i i feel like even i don't know that we talked about him much because he's kind of nondescript mm -hmm. as sort of a follower but i think i think we could sort of see him and not that we get a ton of stuff here but i think we can kind of see him as a uh, sort of a halfway point between Forrest and mm. Riley, mm -hmm. like, like personality wise. Like, I think, I think we can sort of believe that he has the good instincts and desires and training of Riley, but isn't quite so much the willing to follow orders at any extreme that Forrest seemed to have. Right. Um, right. Right, you know, but but again, more so than Riley, you know, he is more right. He's but yeah, he's still right. a company man. He's still following right. orders. But like I, I, it, it it's sort of like it, like you might, you know, like in the in the colonial American, uh, you know, forefathers, sort of like the ideal of like the agrarian soldier. You know, he's like both a farmer but also a fighter when he needs to mm -hmm. be kind of thing. Like like. I mean, Riley was kind of that in a way, but then like gave it all up because he sort of lost faith in the system. Mm -hmm. Graham hasn't lost faith in the system, right. but he also has seen the horrors that the system can provide. And so he's not, he's right. also not completely unwilling, it seems, to just do 
anything that he can. Like, I feel like he's legitimately trying to save um, Riley's right. life. Right. And he, like, he's trying to show him that, like, this is actually your best. And, and, and like, he's correct. Like, it, he's not lying. Like, it's not like Riley goes under the knife and then suddenly, like, has a new chip implanted or anything. It's like, right. he goes under the knife and it legitimately saves his life. So he's, he's saying this is the best way to save your life and we're trying to make right he does want to recruit Riley back in, but he's also not like lying to him to get him to come back. Right. Or, he's not coercing, you him. know, trying, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. And it's like, it, it is that thing of you can understand Riley's reluctance to kind of just submit yourself back to those people, but that doesn't make what Graham is saying wrong either. You know, that right. this is dangerous when this is the only solution and, yeah, and they don't end up, you know, just like, you know, doing something else or drugging him or, you know, forcing him to do anything. Right. Um, which, I don't know, that, to jump to the ending, the ending to me was left very kind of open and not ominous exactly, but just that it wasn't, it wasn't like a dun-dun-dun, Riley's gone over to, like, it just... The question to me wasn't like really uh, answered in either direction. What was going to be his response to that, um, to this offer? And it does kind of make you wonder, like, is the fact that Graham was telling the truth and being honest, does that buy back him and the initiative or the government or whatever, a few more points of like, you know, like obviously if they tried to like, screw with him more he would have just become even more paranoid and more set against them but you know the fact that he has this friend who is looking out for him and trying to do right by him you know that makes that offer sound a little bit more appealing than it might otherwise It, it almost like and i'm not saying this is what graham is doing but it's almost like the grifter trick of like you know having the mark score uh you know a small sum to later invest a bigger sum which then of course he loses because that's the whole point in the end um and yeah Yeah. and i'm not i'm not saying like that that's what's graham doing here but that like i can see why you might look at it in that way or that that's or that that's what it could lead to even if that's not their plan necessarily right they're not trying to ensnare him but it he seemed less hostile to the idea and you know and, and it might be that graham is completely earnest but there are right. others who are using that earnestness right. in, a, in a way that right you know would later hurt it's Riley manipulative or whatever. right yeah yeah i mean all of those are certainly possibilities and i think i mean you're right they do leave it open at the end so i mean obviously this isn't even perhaps resolved um and we already know that riley's feeling inadequate um Partly because of the loss of the chemicals that ended up hurting him, you know, in this episode. Well, right. you know, that have been hurting him all along, but kind of come to a head yeah. in this episode. So there's, like, Riley's not from Sunnydale. He, the only thing, the only reason he's there is for Buffy. And so if he loses Buffy, mm-hmm. what else is there for him? And right. You know, right? I mean, is he even really a student still? Do we know that? I mean, I we haven't 
like we've seen Buffy and Willow are both going to classes. We haven't seen that Riley's going to classes. Right. So we don't we don't know, I think, officially at this point. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a good question to ask is what is – besides the fact that he was clearly kind of going out, you know, to like burn off his extra energy, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. was also sort of simultaneously killing him. Uh, beyond that and being with Buffy, like, yeah, what else is he doing in Sunnydale at this point? Because the the student thing was always a cover anyway. Right. So, and he was, like, he was a grad student. So it's not even like, because um, he was like a TA and stuff. Like, it's right. not, it's not even like he's in an undergrad, you know, situation with Buffy and Willow anyway. So. Right. I mean, we never knew theoretically how far along he was and or even if he technically even was matriculated, you know, that all was part of his cover. Right. With. uh, Right. So whether or not he's even officially enrolled, certainly that's not his reason for being there. Um, Right. One way or the other. Right. It has it like, yeah, there is this kind of sense of, you know purposelessness and then um yeah and then like you said like there's all these insecurity issues on top of it you know so um you know there's kind of an interesting uh gender dynamic there of i and i don't think riley is you know like you know a kind of he seems like a sensitive guy like he's not like a a a chauvinist or anything but there is this kind of you know graham makes the comment about oh you're the the mission's boyfriend and everything and or like you know and buffy kind of makes all the comments about how she's stronger than him and he and and all these things and it's like they're all true but like to a kind of you know macho fit you know young guy it's like that's a blow to the ego to kind of be the one who has to stay at home while Buffy goes out and does the fighting and to be sort of sick and Buffy has to take care of him and everything. So mm-hmm. there's this kind of, um, you know, I think, like, I think there's kind of a, there's kind of a gender swap there that like, so beyond the fact sure. that he's not feeling right or well, you know, there's also just the, the pride aspect of, mm-hmm. you know, and to feel like, you know, he kind of talks about being Joe Normal, that he, we talk about him as, like, he's this middle American boy next door. Like, in some ways, he is sort of Joe Normal personified. But also, he's been given all these, you know, chemically enhanced superpowers. So, just to kind of suddenly find that you've lost that. And so, you've not only lost your purpose, but you've lost all your... Like, because maybe he could kind of find a purpose with Buffy if he was strong enough to go fight with her and control with her. But it's like, you know, to even lose the thing that would enable you to contribute, I guess, to the Scoobies and everything. Um, Right, right. It's all just sort of falling apart for him at once. And, I mean, there's a sense in which, you know, he's being emasculated. But it's kind of ironic because it's actually... He's actually being masculated. Is that a word? In mm-hmm. the in, insofar as like, like he he had these artificial 
superpowers that right. were giving him, you know, this extra stuff. And now he's just being made, like you said, like a normal guy. So it's I not even that, like, yeah. like he's not really being emasculated because like he's just being made, you know, a normal masculine right. person. But that, but he's feeling like that's not enough for Buffy. That's that, not enough anymore. Yeah. That that for Buffy and and it's kind of interesting, cause, you know, because okay, theoretically he was like the psychology, you know, TA and whatever. Mm-hmm. But like looking at his own sort of psychology, it's like Buffy is sitting there saying that's not what I care about. Yeah. So you have to. Add, I mean, I you know, I suppose Buffy could be lying, but I think we're supposed to see. I, I think I read her anyway in this mm-hmm. episode as being like earnest in that, like mm-hmm. she's not looking for that. Like it's perfectly fine if he's not, you know, yeah. superpower guy. And so then that brings in the question of who's, who's he really letting down? And it seems like it's himself. Like it's, right. it's maybe more of a classic, you know, he's reading into what he Projection thinks Buffy kind of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like he he th- want, thinks Buffy wants this stuff when it's really not Buffy who wants it, it's he who wants it and he doesn't know how to deal with not having it. Right. And yeah, and and like you said, like he's projecting it on on her when that's not right. really and, the case. Right. And and I think we can take Buffy at her word because that's what she's talked about for the whole series so far is how she just wants a normal life, you know. And right. not that not that it wouldn't be difficult for her to suddenly have to shift to that, but I think we take her at her word there that she actually, you know, uh, frustrating though it might be in the beginning, she would prefer to just you know be able to live like yeah. anybody else. Um, and Riley is part of that. Like that's part of you know he's never going to believe that she has the same, like, you know, passion for him that, you know, she did for Angel. But, you know, that kind of uh, normalcy and, you know, uh, kind of safety aspect, I think is a big part of why she's attracted to him in the first place. And, and, I mean, there is that sense of, like, I mean, obviously... You know, for any partnership, there has to be a certain amount of, you know, common things that you have together. But there's also, you know, part of being in a good relationship is enjoying the stuff about the other person that isn't similar to what you that, you know, it's that, oh, I never would have looked at things that way or I never would have experienced this thing that you enjoyed and I had never thought of, you know, to try. So, like, there is that you know, aspect of like, you know, through your partner, you're you're kind of getting this other perspective and other experiences that, that compliments you that whatever. And so like, you can see that as being the attraction for Buffy of that. You're not, that you are Mr. Joe normal, that you are whatever. And, and the other thing is too, like Riley, you know, Riley's never going to want to hear that because what you want to hear is your, you're special you're and you're, right. you're, and that's, you're awesome and you're the best, you know? And that's, I mean, that's just human nature, you know? Well, and I think for him, that's the emasculating part, even though it's right. sort of a faux emasculation. Like right. it's, you know, for him, it it's because it's not that super, you know, perspective. Uh, yeah. That for him, it's, it's just like, Oh, well, I'm just a normal guy. Right. Whereas, 
but, you know, but the thing is too, that's, that's misleading because he's not like, even without the super vitamin pack meals that the initiative were giving him, you know, right. like whatever was in that, we never really quite learned what, right. you know, they were giving him, you know, some sort of experimental drugs or something, even without those, like he's never going to be Xander, <laughs> you know, like he's still, <laughs> right. he, he's still going to be right. strong and active and capable and all this stuff. Right. And, and really at this point, it's his own perception and his own mental blocks that are really driving sort of the wedge between him and mm-hmm. Buffy that he, that he sees Buffy being the one to be driving it through. But it's, but it's, it's all his own sort of psychosis that's actually doing right. the driving here. Which, so, you know, it was brought up at the end of the last one when he says that to Xander about, you know, he's crazy for her, but she doesn't, you know, feel the same way. And there was that question of why would he think that? Like everything right. we've seen indicates that she reciprocates it. And I think this is more uh, evidence that, yeah, he's kind of making this up to some extent. Like, you know, um, I, I still haven't seen any, um, not that he's not... I don't think he ever becomes unsympathetic. Like, I think they they do it well enough that you can totally understand why he would feel the way he does and where he's coming from. But also, I don't think we're meant to kind of see that he really is accurate in his description of Buffy. Right, you know? right. Um, I think when it comes down to it, she is like the winner of that particular argument. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, and and there is a sense too. So like there's you know, at the beginning there you kind of see his over eagerness of, you know, fighting the vampires and stuff when Yeah. He like just kind of shows up out of the blue. And like it's hard to tell like how much of that is the sort of physiological response to the, you know, chemical stuff mm-hmm. that's going on inside him, and how much of it is psychological of, you know, I'm going to show Buffy that I can fight vampires too, right, you know, right. which is like, again, it's like, why do you need to prove yourself? You've done it so many times, but right, there's right. still that sense of like, he, he seems to feel the need to do that. Right. Or like when she goes into the room and he sort of just tackles her like for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. Giles yeah. is just showing her this room that he made yeah. in the back of the It's just this shop. kind of like awkward overreaction, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, again, they've kind of, fought together and had like sparring matches and stuff. So it's not like that's new, but like, yeah, there's that kind of over need to impress. um, Right. That's going on. Um, Um, So by the end we have the chip gone. So physically he should be okay. Um, But that doesn't necessarily take care of these psychological issues that are still going on, you know? Um, the, oh, wait, the, what, chip, you mean, where are you talking about Spike or Riley? Riley. Isn't his chip, doesn't the doctor take his chip out? Well, he, well, Riley pulled his oh, own th- chip that's out. That's right, that's right. Um, but the doc, yeah, the doctor does something to his He does heart. something Like, to, there's, right. there's. I forgot that the chip came out already, but that's right. That's I, what I meant, is that he does, like. I'll be honest, I'm not Fix entirely I'm not entirely sure 
what the neurologist does because yeah, he does the, it to his tre- heart. The treatment of brain and heart surgery in this episode is pretty hilarious. Like, yeah, Spike, Spike with the little like square gauze, like kind of taped on the back of his head, cracked me up. But anyway. yeah, we're, we're, it's not real clear. To, I mean, I realize that like neurologist maybe doesn't necessarily just deal with the brain. Like it could be the whole neural system throughout mm-hmm. your body. But I don't know what that has to do with Riley's heart. Like I, I've right. never understood what exactly that okay. yeah. association is. So I So if, you're right. If I was someone wrong, I was wrong about the chip. What I was getting at was that the doctor does like fix his heart problem. Yeah, whatever whatever it whatever is. Whatever was wrong, he fixed he it. He waves his magical doctor yes. hands and does fix him. Yes. Um so, if if anyone knows what is going on there, <laughs> Feel free to suggest because I, I, as many times as I've watched this, I've never really been clear on what exactly what happens. Yeah, he's doing and why it requires a neurologist, except for that they need a neurologist because Spike right. is in the mix. Right. Um, right, right. But yeah, um, yeah. So speaking of Spike, maybe. So speaking of Spike, yes. Um, speaking of Spike. Gosh, I don't even know where to start. Um, well, it's Spike and Harmony, which is always fun and hilarious. You <laughs> yeah, know, we're, she we're, comes we're... to him begging for help with the thinking and the planning. And <laughs> were, were you surprised to see Harmony again? Um, I mean, momentarily, but not like we did. We did see her fairly recently, so yeah, you know. Um, you know, once I saw her, it didn't. Uh, I I like her so much more as a vampire than when she was alive. As as a person, yeah. yeah. No, she's pretty great. Um, and yeah, we do and, like. I mean, she's not. She's never going to be like the the main villain we see all the time. But she, right, she'll continue to pop up here and there throughout. Well, the and I like how she stuff. has this fantasy that she is the main villain. That like. I'm yes. totally her arch nemesis. She's out, out to kill me. Like, you know, she is so low on Buffy's priority list of threats, you know, but, right. you know, in Harmony's mind, you know, Buffy is on this uh, cold revenge, you know, revenge streak. Right. And she won't right. rest until she's destroyed her and all these and other like, things. Buffy doesn't even realize, like, she's around until right. Right. she happens to run into her, you know. Like, yeah, like, just um, kind of just forgets about her until she shows up. Uh, which, which, yeah, like, like she might be slightly higher than Spike because technically Harmony could bite someone kind of thing, but like, that's the only reason it's just like, yeah, Yeah. not even really registering on the Richter scale. Right. Um, um, but with, um, with Spike, I guess I want to kind of just talk about the lead up to that last scene. Um, cause I feel like it is all build up to that final scene. And, I mean, the one thing that kind of was striking me, even as I was watching it, like, before I realized where it was going, mm-hmm. was, you know, how kind of ridiculously um, over-the-top Spike's kind of hatred of Buffy is getting. You know, like, him just kind of waxing about all the terrible, you know, like, you know, I'm going to... What does he say? I'm gonna uh, 
you know, bathe in her blood. I'm going to dive it. I'm going to do the bloody backstroke, you know, like, right. it's just this like really flowery description of, you know, um, like well, he doesn't and... just want to get rid of her. And, and it does, it is the kind of, you know, villain equivalent of in hindsight, you know, the kind of push her down in the playground and pull her pigtails kind of thing, yeah. you know, of like, he is getting so obsessed, you know, with, you yeah. know, and it's not till the end that you kind of realize what other ways he might be getting obsessed. But um, sure. as it was going on, like it was kind of kept coming to me of like, oh my gosh, like he just needs to like chill out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, and, and of course, you know, thinking back to the last episode where we saw him like, taking the time to like build this mannequin and dress it like right. her and like all the, which right. you noted at the time was rather creepy. A little, yeah. Uh, and, a little stalkerish. And, and, yeah. and yeah. And it's like that. Oh, okay. Well he did this and then like kicks the head off the mannequin and whatever. And so it's like, okay, he, it's like, it's a vindictive or not vindictive, but a vicar- vicarious way of, mm-hmm. um, well, I guess also vindictive, but a way of, you know, sort of getting back at her cause he can't do it directly. Right. But then it's like, in hindsight, based on this dream, like, right. yeah, like you see that there's this like even yeah. longer sort of build up maybe. Yeah. He also made this. a Buffy doll. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, the, uh, one other thing, actually, I, it, it kind of goes to your points about um, the, the comparisons between Buffy and Riley or uh, Spike and Riley mm-hmm. um, is we see him watching. Uh, apparently it's Dawson's Creek. Uh, at the in the his crypt there did did you know that did you catch the reference there um he says no. i i never watched dawson's creek so this is according i to haven't Wiki- either this is according to wikipedia okay uh uh he says oh pacey you blind idiot can't you see she doesn't love you which mm. from riley's perspective that's what he sees right uh buffy is not really loving him right. and but like but, you know, contrasting that with the end of the episode, it's like, well, Buffy doesn't love Spike either. So it's like, right. who's he referring to there? Like, you know, is this like oblique? It could be an oblique reference to either of them, um, you yeah. know, in that context. Right. Uh, apparently, Pacey was a guy in Dawson's Creek who was in an off-again, on-again relationship with Joey, who is uh, apparently Katie Holmes's character in Dawson's Creek. So okay. That's that's the reference there. So Pacey is the guy who mm-hmm. doesn't get that Joey is not really in love with him. So yeah. um, for what it's worth, thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, but we do get we we do get right. like these There's this kind of unrequited love theme going. Yeah, on. yeah, like the, these little moments, um, which is it it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we might as well talk about that last scene. Because, like, because I want to talk about, like, Buffy, too, because, you know, she's protesting and protesting throughout the episode her feelings for Riley. And there I am, like, believing her and saying, like, Riley, you're being stupid. Why can't you see all these things? And then it's like, you know, she, they get you for a minute. Like, she goes in there and it gets, like, real steamy. And you're like, and I'm sitting there going, no, no, don't do it. Like, you can't, like you know, say all these things. And then of course, in the space of one episode, you're going to completely 
Right. You know, but then of course it, you know, turns out to all be, but there's that, there is that moment of, Ooh, is there some sort of connection here that like, you know, could be exploited, you know, um, certainly on Spike's end there seems to be, but it, even though it turns out to be a dream, it opens up that window for just a second of, you know, could this be, you know, reciprocated? And we've talked about like spuffy, you know, right. shippers and 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 um uh the episode where they kind of think they're engaged and everything and that there is kind of a chemistry there. Um, you know, and hate is a kind of chemistry too, you know. <laughs> um, you know, like a lot of times I feel like in stories, you know, there are these sure. kind of you know, I mean, these two are a bit more violent, but it's that kind of Beatrice Benedict thing of like, we fight right. because we love each other, you know, and like all of our verbal sparring is like a metaphor for like, you know, our yeah. our heat and our chemistry and everything. Right. So, you know, as much as you kind of are wanting to, like, you're getting this affirmation of what Buffy says she feels for Riley. But you're also getting these hints of whatever this something else is with Spike, you know? Right. Um, and there's, I mean, obviously there's definitely, like, the, you know, Spike and Buffy have been around long enough and, you know, interacted enough that clearly there's all these shippers out there who are like, sure. oh, just get them together. So, like, there's definitely a sense in this where, where this is just Joss Whedon screwing around with people saying right. hey what if spike had a dream yeah but like we weren't clear right away that it was a dream right. and you right. know that kind of thing so definitely some some fooling around well i didn't quite mean it that way but yeah fooling around you know with that yeah. idea um there's also in in the fight scene where they're in the operating theater there uh you do get a moment of similarity back. Uh, uh, was it was it season two? No, it must have been season three, where um, Angel feeds on Buffy, and it's the very erotic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, scene of of you know where he's kind of getting his his power back. Right. You know, like he's been drained or whatever. Something. And so, um, or no, he has to feed on a Slayer. That's right. Cause it was the whole faith thing and Buffy wasn't able to get faith and that's right. But so you get a more rapey, I guess, version of mm-hmm. that here in the fight yeah. scene where you have Spike jumping on her right. and pinning her to the ground and trying to bite her. And then of course the chip is turns out to still be in. So right. he immediately feels pain before he actually bites her and, right. you know, kind of gets thrown off. But it's like, there's, there's a bit of a parallel there. Obviously one's consensual, the other's not. And so there's obviously a huge difference in that respect, but from a, from a, you know, from that sort of perspective, like there's, there's another sort of parallel going along there of, right something happening anyway when what at least you know it seems to be one way at this point Mm -hmm. Um, yeah well and and the other line i wanted to point out too is buffy's thing about like like i don't want 
someone with superpowers. If that's what I wanted, I'd be dating Spike. It's interesting that she says Spike there. She doesn't say Angel, you know, or... Right. You know, even though right. an Angel's in the subtext, like, that's the problem. I don't think either of them see Spike as a rival at this point. Like, I think the right. elephant in the room is Angel, but she names Spike, not Angel, you know? And so, again, there's that... Right. And just she that suggestion, picked... you know... It's she could have picked someone there. like fictional, like Superman or something. Right. You know what I mean? Like she right. could have, it could have been someone she doesn't actually really even know. Right. Like that's, or it could have been Oz, you know, he's a werewolf and right. you know, like that kind of, right. like there, there's a right. bunch it's of a different. It's a conspicuous choice. Yeah. Options there. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, which, and again, like, I don't mean that that means that what Buffy says isn't sincere, but I think we're, the door's open wide enough that, like, I think at least the potential is there that it isn't entirely one-sided. At least, like, you know, not, maybe not in terms of, like, feelings, but at least in terms of, like, just plain old chemistry or desire or something. Um, you know, because even in the dream, Buffy says, like, <laughs> even in the dream there's kind of a difference of quality because it's Buffy saying, like, like, I want you, like, it's like a physical thing. And it's Spike saying, I love you, <laughs> like, right, right. you know? So he not only like has this dream, which horrifies him, but he completely confesses these, you know, deep emotional feelings as well. Right, um, right. Seeing you, know? you every day, everywhere I go, every time I turn around, like it's right, that, right. yeah, yeah. Right, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so yeah. my reaction was like, panic that Buffy was going to do this and then like hysterical laughter when I realized that it was <laughs> that it was a dream sure um, but yeah I will be interested to see where that goes um, and so just sort of finishing out Spike of course I mean we see that he's still intent on getting his chip out yeah Uh, I, I I like the way the doctor sort of handles that because like like with yeah. Harmony just sort of hovering over him and right right you know whatever but then like you know and I turns. like the kind of metaphor of like giving birth like it's like they're behind the sheet and Harmony's going like oh there it is I see it and yeah, everything yeah. like you know yeah the proud um, and and all that so um but it's still in there it's still functioning uh and it's whatever so we'll just see like it kind of surprised that spike hadn't thought of just going and finding a neurologist to take it out yet yeah um but that didn't work so we'll see if and when he has another idea to do something along those lines um the other uh, well the one last thing with him too and i guess to go on the kind of unmanned theme of you know i love harmony's line about he can't harm any living creatures he you know what that means he can't even pick flowers <laughs> and he's like what you, like you just totally made that up like, yeah 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 like right she's, like she's just sort of making stuff up and you know doesn't even know if it's true but um you know his kind of offense at that idea is pretty funny <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, he, he can pick flowers. He can pick flowers. Um, so, yeah. Um, we should talk about some of the other... Scoobies. Uh, Scoobies, yeah, here. Um, yeah. So... For, well, we'll start with Giles. Um, like, I guess the big things in this are this, his kind of renovation of the magic store. Like, he's further... Um, stocking it and mm -hmm. having Xander, you know, use his carpentry skills to build him some more, you know, space and, you know, whatever else he needs. Um, and then this kind of special dedicated training room in the back for Buffy. Um, right. So again, like, just as we see her being more, like, focused and diligent with her work, you kind of see Giles maybe putting in a bit more effort than he had been into like being the watcher like you know mm -hmm. mentoring Buffy um making sure that there's space for training and all these sorts yeah. of things so kind of a renewed you know uh motivation yeah. there and and generally being a productive member of society again <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, he had his little year of of depression and soul searching and now he's sort of back to business right he, he's refound his purpose and and obviously like this is going to be the new library slash giles's apartment <laughs> you know uh right. this is this right. is where they're the going to be place. meeting and and appropriate enough i mean there's they've got you know materials you know for spells and they've got you know room in the back for training and uh it seems to attract demons so like they don't even have to go hunt them anymore <laughs> like yeah. um right that's true and there's and there's books um i don't know if you saw like up the ladder like there's like all these like old magic books and stuff mm -hmm. and um that kind of thing so like and and i love how like anya gets annoyed at like he's keeping the wrong ingredients together and stuff right. she like like even though she's not a witch like willow or whatever like she has an understanding of like magical right. stuff that like the others don't have um just given her former demon history and stuff so like right. uh and I, and i also i love willow's offense at you know like the generic newt eyes right right yeah you, you need you need brand not yeah you know, not generic the name still means something <laughs> right um um so yeah yeah lots of fun stuff there i don't i mean yeah giles is sort of building stuff back up there's not a ton of stuff there other than that like yeah like willow goes and Tara's already there so like it's already sort of becoming the hangout spot and um, and and uh not only that but Tara's that's one of the first times or maybe the first time that Tara's really been there like without willow like part of the group it's just you know she's hanging out with the group as a yeah as a member you know right. not like right you know with willow um right it's yeah that's a good point that she'll be there and you know and like it makes sense because she's a magic person like she right. knows magic and stuff so like a magic right. she shop totally fits in yeah and and like if anything like it was clear by the fact that she knew the previous proprietor's name like she probably fits in more there than any of the others so it mm -hmm. kind of makes even more sense for her to be more comfortable being around the group in the magic shop because it's a place where she's comfortable and familiar yeah um which as we've seen is important for her like it's yeah. it, you know she 
is not the kind of person who kind of branches out on her own a lot. So it's a good, it's a good way to sort of naturally integrate her with the rest of the group. Bring her in. Um, Uh, And I mean, you get that too with her kind of reluctance with new magic too, you know, not even just new uh, people or new situations, but like, you know, she would, she's reluctant to do the palm reading. Like she'd rather, you know, she kind of puts herself down while propping Willow up. Like, you know, I'd rather learn from someone who really knows what they're doing, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, and the spell that she apparently taught Willow, you know, the little light spell of like Tinkerbell lights, but then Willow completely, you know, embellished on it and made it, far more powerful and effective and everything. And you kind of get her kind of impressed, but also kind of like, not confused, but like surprised that Willow could do what she did. You know, it seemed like a little bit of, not an entirely, like a little bit of a pleasant surprise, but really just a surprise. Like, oh gosh, I didn't know you could do that. You know? I, I kind of like, I kind of liken it to, like, like say you had this really good recipe and someone asked for it and you give it to them and then they make like an improvement on it somehow. Right, like they right. add a little something to it and it's like, and it tastes better. And like, like you like it, it tastes better, yeah. but like at the same time, maybe slightly jealous or maybe yeah. slightly like, it wasn't well, the recipe I gave you. That was yeah. my grandma's recipe. How dare you kind right. of, you know, change it in any way, even though you do kind of maybe like it a little better. So like you maybe sort of a conflicting thing there of like, Oh, you did this thing that I showed you, but you didn't do it in the way I showed you. And it now is like more ambient light and stuff. It's actually kind of an improvement, Mm -hmm. but you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, like, like they're, they're definitely, I don't know. I don't know quite what the right emotion is there either. Cause I think you're right. Like, I think you're right to get the, both impressed but also kind of hesitant or whatever yeah uh, about it so like not like yeah, we don't really know exactly what that is she's kind of taken aback and doesn't seem to know what to make of it you know it wasn't like a oh my gosh look what you did so cool it was like a oh i didn't know you could do that kind of reaction you sure, know sure. um so yeah like i think that shows both kind of willow's advancing skill and kind of how quickly she's advancing but also tara as this kind of naturally cautious like you know she seems to go about things much more deliberately and slowly than uh than willow you know willow wants to kind of forge ahead and you know do as much as she can as quickly as she can um tara seems uh much more, you know, just kind of like cautious and deliberate with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we should talk about Joyce and Oh, Dawn. wait, hold on. Oh. I have something for Xander first before we go on to Oh, them. okay. Um, <laughs> so, for Xander, I mean, there's the great, because we had the Xander-Riley conversation, you know, so... Xander's whole rambling, I know a friend, you know, which is always code for something else. Right. But what it's usually code for is me. I'm the friend, you know? Right, right. Now, we I'm know, asking for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. 
now we know because we've seen the conversation that he's actually talking about Riley. Like, you know, it really is. It really is Riley. Well, (laughs) and it's really about Riley. It's not like some other friend. It's like, right. He's talking about the same person. He just can't say he told me this because it's private, you know? So like this awkward, you know, the friend who is like this, maybe Riley reminds me of that friend, you know, right. Because it's Riley. Um, but then, of course, everyone, including Anya, take that as Xander. You know, right. it's Xander. Because, of course, if anybody's insecure, it's not going to be Riley. It's going to be Xander. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, and her kind of equally awkward attempt to reassure him. And I love how she says, don't be insecure, like like a <laughs> command. Like, you can just stop. You right. Know? He says, "I won't." <laughs> I, I won't. Right. It's yeah. like it, it, it legitimately. He's like, like uh, "I'm, I'm not. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. fine with our relationship." Yeah. Or like, if if he is, like, it's something a switch he can just flip off. Like, sure. Oh, I won't be insecure anymore. Like, you know, didn't know right. that. I'll get on it. Thanks. This is Anya's typical, not really quite understanding humans way of trying to reassure be, him be compassionate and yeah. like you know it, you know reassure her man and it's just like yeah like if xander were really feeling that way it wouldn't reassure him at all no <laughs> even in the least yeah. yeah no that that's a great great scene and yeah i mean definitely you know the contrasting stuff there between uh like you said of course xander is gonna be the one who's insecure, um, which is interesting because I wasn't really thinking about that earlier when I said like, you know, Riley's never going to be Xander. Like he's still right. always going to be like stronger and more confident, and whatever. But in a way, like he's actually not. So, right. well, and I think we put the the lie to that idea with the replacement, and you know, so showing that suave confidence is buried deep in Xander's character too. You know. It's not always the most sure. obvious, but it's in there, you know? So right. here is a case where he is, I guess, in a more secure relationship than Riley is, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the people that look the most together on the outside aren't always really the most together. Um, yeah. You know? So Yeah, yeah it's, and, and that's true. Like, it is even just in real life i mean there's always like you never really know what's going on with someone's relationship and it's you know there's that thing of like i I mean i found out recently that two friends of mine who had been together for you know probably 16 17 years i mean since they were you know in college since we all were in college so it's just they recently split up and so it's like right this thing of like you know i thought i mean i thought they had made it past the point where like Right. Couples our age usually split up and, and, um, clearly they didn't. So like, and, and, and like, clearly it's not like, there's never a particular age. Like, I mean, that's a silly way to think about it, but at the same time, it just seemed like, oh, they kind of made it through and they had two kids and they, they struggled having kids and like, you know, all these things that like, they kind of made it through all this stuff and it's kind of like, oh good. Now you think they have it and they didn't. So like, yeah, it's just one of those things of like you can't just look at a couple and necessarily say, "Oh, they're great and awesome" because maybe they're right. not. You don't know what really is going on and right. people are good at faking things a lot. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah. 
all of that to say that, yeah, like Xander and Anya seem to be from what we know, because we see them sort of in their private moments in a better capacity than Buffy and Riley at this point. So, mm-hmm. um, last few minutes, I, w- I do want to talk about Joyce and Dawn, yeah. uh, though real quick. So yeah, yeah. Joyce collapses. Yes. Uh, you caught what she says right before. Yes, I did. Yeah, so, you know, you know, my wheels start spinning, wondering, you know, how much to, how much to read into that, you know, so the kind of, you know, the who are you line could just be a purely, she's about to faint, she's confused, you know, like it could be a purely rational physical explanation for it. Seems a little unlikely given that we're kind of asking the same question because Dawn did just sort of appear out of nowhere. Um, And so then, okay, does that mean that was the fainting spell magically related for some reason? Like it wasn't kind of like, she seems to me to have this moment of clarity before she, you know, or potentially this moment of clarity before she faints, this moment where the spell's broken and there's this strange girl in her house who she doesn't recognize, you know, but then it's gone again by the time she wakes up, you know? Um, So, uh, you know, so if that's the case, what triggered, you know, the, the fainting spell, um, or is it a combination of both, you know? Um, I don't know. It's, it is definitely ambiguous. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the first overt acknowledgement of one of the other characters that Dawn is off somehow that there's kind of, you know, we've had the little jokes and references in the dialogue, but like, this is really that first time where somebody else is kind of, there's even a, a hint of you know, of not recognizing her and her being out of place. Yes, of one of the... It, right, it's certainly certainly one of the main... Uh, one of the main things. But, so I want to call back, though, uh, to, to the episode Real Me, which is where we sort of get Don's, you know, yeah. real introduction. I mean, obviously, briefly at the end of Buffy versus Dracula you know, is where we first see her. But in in Real Me, um, uh, Joyce's sort of saying, who are you, is kind of a contrast or a reflection of uh, the crazy guy who accosts right. Don and says, I know you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what? Like there's something, maybe something, you know, about the way different brains can perceive Dawn. And so when mm-hmm. something goes wrong with Joyce, who has this, right. you know, fainting right. spell, like, really thought of that. Like, yeah. like that there's something here, there's some, some different perception going on. And, and I actually, I'll call back. It, it's really, it's really brief. Um, in, in the previous episode, uh, when Buffy and Don are arguing um, mm-hmm. in, in the replacement, 
Joyce says they're giving her a headache. And so, Mm. like, it's not clear that that's, like, supposed to be an illusion. But the fact that then she has this problem now and faints, Mm -hmm. it's like that, that maybe there's something going on. Right. You know, there as well. So... I don't want to. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to either plant ideas or like suggest things that may or may not be spoilers <laughs> down the road or anything. Right. But just that that there is this sort of like like we now have this pattern over three episodes of like right different mental states or whatever sort of right being affected by or perceived in a certain way by mm-hmm. Don. Um, or of Dawn, you know, uh, right, right. by these different people. So just thought I'd yeah. mention that. Um, no, I hadn't quite thought of it that way, so that's good. Um, uh, so Joyce goes to the hospital. Um, they, they meet a doctor there, Ben, he says his name is. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, like, he's sort of explaining things. Joyce is cleared, like, she's okay to go home, but that's when they find out about Riley's, like, Don's playing with the uh, stethoscope and and hears Riley's heart and stuff. Um, I will mention that we will see Ben again, but I won't say, like, in what context or or whatever. Um, Just so to note that he's there. So that actor, he, um, he's been in some other stuff, like, uh, uh, oh, shoot, I closed the the window where I had my info up about him, but he, he's been in some other stuff, but this is kind of one of his, um, earlier, earlier roles. Uh, but yeah. Um, anyway, so we'll, we'll see him again. Um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I don't, I think that's all I had. I was just trying to think of, see if there was anything more about Don and Joyce. I mean, Don, um, There's you know, more she, kind of... she she kind of like there's the interactions with her and Buffy and conspiracy theories and stuff, but like it's right. nothing, like it, it's it's sort of the impression of little sister kind of being annoying and right. Inserting yeah, the only where... thing that kind of jumped out to me was her kind of um, suggestion of sometimes I write fake things in my diary um, in case you know when she doesn't really finish the sentence and the fact that when we first meet her that's it's in the context of writing to her diary you know and, sure and the fact that we don't know whether what she's saying in her diary is true like all we have to go on is her sort of narration um and we don't yeah. really so i don't know whether that's like hmm. a clue to anything but like there is this kind of it it raises the unreliable narrator question to me yeah like how much can we trust what she says you know um especially okay. about her history and her past and her life and everything i'll be honest i i've never thought about it in that context before but you're right like that does call into question at least some of the stuff what that she, she says we, yeah the things you know, that she's the told us about herself and everything um yeah no that's yeah. interesting and 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 like she she kind of realizes like oh this is this is something maybe I shouldn't be sharing. So right, right. it's like almost like it's second nature to her. So like maybe she doesn't even completely realize when she is writing fake things. Like she knows she does right. it, but like the fact that she's willing to just sort of like blurt it out like that. Like, right. She must do it fairly regularly or yeah, it's just, right. it's just a, a normal thing that she does. Right. Um, right. So, so anyway, 
Um, interesting. Yeah, I, I honestly never thought of it in that context, so that's a interesting uh, thing to keep an eye on, I guess. Because, I mean, Dawn, will, that's one of her things is writing in her diary. Like, we'll see her doing that again okay. and again. So it's not, like, any spoiler or anything to say, right. you know, to talk about that. But um, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. cool. Well, let's talk about the Doctor Who 50th anniversary bonus materials. Let's. This is this is not the 50th anniversary discussion. No. This is the bonus material. All this other stuff that we should go over. And um, and we did uh we did we did get questions about whether we were going to cover this stuff. So here we are. We are covering it. Here we um, are covering it. And and the main question was around Night of the Doctor. So yes, let's, which I do think I think of all the things we're going to talk about, that's to me probably the best one, and also I think the most interesting in terms of you know the, the discussion we've had of the story and everything. Um, sure, sure. I okay. So let's talk about it then. Let's. Um, the Night of the Doctor. So. Um, the big revelation for me is that eight doesn't regenerate directly into nine, which yes. was which had been my assumption, and I assume the, the assumption yeah. of most yeah. people up to this point. Right. Um, and yeah. It 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 closes the one big gap in the chain there, and um, I mean, kind of, because we still don't know if the. The War Doctor, I guess, is what they call. Yes, that's we have, we have a name for him officially. Um, um, the I, yeah, because that's like flashed up, or it's in like the yeah, it's or like in the like, end credits, yeah. Um, which I don't always read, but for some reason that stuck out uh, uh -huh. to me. So, so we get the eight regenerating into the War Doctor, presumably. Well, like we still have a gap there to fill, we, right? Yeah, so that's the, true. The, there's that still the true. war doctor could potentially become someone other than nine, that is true. and then you know that doctor becomes nine, right? Um, but at this point, like we only know of the war doctor, right? As as we know the war doctor as being the only aberration that we know about at this yeah. point, like yeah. that he's the only one who doesn't call himself the doctor, the doctor presumably, right? Um, um, yeah, and a couple of things. I don't remember where, who made this comment, uh, or, you know, what website or who the commenter was, but I, the phrase stuck in my brain that, like, um, by, uh, you know, we could talk more about the Eighth Doctor and Paul McGann and everything, but by, um, bringing him in, you know, because it was kind of advertised, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, prequel and it's going to feature a doctor but we're not going to tell you which doctor so everybody's going you know Matt Smith, David Tennant, John Hurt who's it going to be so then it's a big shock when it's you know everybody goes and watches and it's a classic you know Paul McGann and this idea of you know someone said there's no longer really any classic who or new who now there's just who and so I like this idea of bringing in the classics and the history right up to the minute of the 50th, you know, and, right. and again, not to say that there aren't still gaps that can be filled in or that we know everything, but joining in all those 
lines feels very satisfactory, um, you know, and kind of giving it, um, we just talked about, well, we had our whole huge discussion about there's no canon and there's no continuity, but that's not to say that it's not enjoyable when we get like a really good piece of, you know, continuity, yeah. hole plugging. Um, sure. So. Yeah. And, yeah. and a rather, a rather big one. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we certainly know. Well, and huge uh, because. Um, you know, you keep asking the question, is the numbering diegetic or not? And it, it does oh, raise... Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Keep. I've asked it twice. Twice. <laughs> you have, on more than one occasion, asked the and, question. And, and in fairness, I was going to bring it up again. So okay, you bringing good. it up is entirely Okay, legit. good. And I think, I think it... You have to ask yourself that question because this completely messes up the whole numbering system. And you know that there's right. like a lot of really obsessive fans at home who got out their little charts and like had a hissy fit. So, um, you know, it, it does, you know, you have this assumption of, you know, the way, you know, who all the, you know, who all the doctors are and what their order is and suddenly Moffat, like the troll he is just comes in and you know right. i'm just gonna stick a new doctor right in there and um you know and it obviously confirms the speculation you had that you know of where john hurt fits and into the timeline and that he is the war doctor. this is the time war doctor this is apparently you know a doctor who you know, we, I think, would have assumed that it was, you know, maybe the eighth doctor who fought in the time war and then regenerated into the ninth, or potentially the ninth was involved as well. You know, you're not quite sure, but, you know, Moffat just comes along and, you know, inserts a whole new regeneration. So it does kind of throw the whole numbering system into question. <laughs> yeah, and and the question of, the question of well we we've seen other I, I guess I think I asked this question a while back but I think we see every other regeneration in classic and new who right mm -hmm. like th those are all on screen regenerations yeah yes but there's another twist that gets thrown in here of the ability to choose who to regenerate mm -hmm. into. Yeah. So, potentially, if if that's possible here, yeah. theoretically, that's also possible elsewhere. Sure. And the question becomes, can you regenerate back into a form that you were already? And so, if there are intradoctoral gaps, if mm -hmm. that makes sense, like gaps within a single doctor's time frame, which we know there are because we've seen them certainly in new. Right. And I right. Assume there yeah. are in classic as well. Right. Potentially a doctor could regenerate and then regenerate back into his previous form, mm -hmm. retaining the numbering system across that spectrum. Right. I'm not saying that that's ever happened. I'm saying yeah. the potentials there. And then there's also the other question of, we already know that, the doctor is several hundred years old when mm -hmm. he first takes the TARDIS. So 
the first doctor isn't necessarily the first doctor. There's potential regenerations that happen before that and other adventures not involving the TARDIS he has now, but certainly involving TARDISes of some kind, perhaps, or other methods of travel and whatever, or even adventures just on Gallifrey. Um, That, I mean, like, we know that it wasn't like he became a rebel the minute he stole the TARDIS. Like, he he was a rebel before that as well. Like, so... You know, there are potentially... Like, it just brings in all of these other potential questions about and the numbers of regenerations. I'll, I'll, add, I'll add another one, too. Yeah, sure. I'm sure I forgot something. No, the other the other one, too, to remember is this um, 13 regeneration limit. So we now have confirmation of another form that we didn't know about. So does that mean we've kind of... Are we closer to that limit than we thought we were you know we've sort of sure introduced you know like if we're keeping check of how many lives he has at his disposal well we just use one up you know um so that's i agree like these are all the questions that it you know suddenly again like all of your kind of uh tracking system kind of goes out the window because this does open up all these other possibilities and everything right um Right. And like what, and also like what is keeping that limit? Like, cause we've already, yeah. I, the fact that like the time Lords don't really exist anymore as sort of a right. viable uh, society. Like, was this like a, you're only allowed 13 regenerations because like, that's a law we passed in the time Lord council mm-hmm. or is it like physically or, or is there some sort of like, yeah. Universal cosmic, Right. physical reason why right. only 13 are allowed like or, that, we don't know the answer to that or if it has something to do with the time lords is it the time lords that are imposing that rule or right. would it be the time lords that would enable you to break that rule you know and we don't necessarily have an answer to that question you know right. um so yeah these are yeah. all great questions de- de- definitely uh, yeah and not that we're going to answer any of them tonight because yeah. it, like you know what the episode's right. what like five minutes long or something right right um but uh so there's definitely um oh the other thing of course he died yeah he died and was brought back to like, like, resurrected. Re- like yeah. resuscitated yeah basically and then given the option to regenerate so that right. like right that brings up another whole set of problems because the right. the presumption has been up till now that if the doctor dies, he dies. Like that, that then he can't regenerate. Well, this is a clear violation of that right. assumption, or not even like I think we kind of get that stated at some point. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just something that you told me. But uh, I, well, certainly the doctor can die. That that's a possible thing. Sure. Well, we've we've seen know. his tomb. Yes, that's true. <laughs> so so it like, seems we pretty know that. certain. Yeah. Um, Yes, he can and will die, in fact. Um, but Right, we're, we, I, and we've never been under the impression that the Doctor is, is, is an eternal being. Right, He's just right. an extremely long-lived being. Right. And, and, and part of that because of the regeneration. So, well, not yeah. part of it, a lot of it. A lot of it, yeah. <laughs> um, though not all of it, because it's also just his general physiology is that he lives a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So yeah, so the question of uh, 
uh, right, just, where was I going with that? Anyway, yeah, so back to, back to the fact, right, the back to the fact that, like, he, he died and was resuscitated and whatever, mm-hmm. like, like that, that also calls into question of, has that happened other times, you know, and, yeah. and if so, like, what are the circumstances and things that, and, and again, like, it's not even, like, we've seen other similar types of things happen. We saw it happen with the master where he was brought back, mm-hmm. you know, with like the ring and sort of, you know, stuff right. like that. So like, yeah, it's not even like, like he was also a time Lord. So like there are ways it seems that you can come back from, death. come back, right. right. That you can come back from death and that you can, uh, defeat that even if you aren't able to regenerate before you die. So, right. um, which brings up like, does that reset the count? Does that right? Like, yeah, you know, like what what sort? How does that affect things? You know, we don't know. Yeah. Um. At least at this point, so. Um. All all sorts of other ideas there. The other thing I want to bring up with the kind of potion that you know they give him to choose his regeneration. You know, a couple things about that. One being. The fact that, you know, she says, like, the change doesn't have to be random, that you can pick what you need to be in this situation. Um, You'll notice she throws in the gender swap there, so that's a possibility, you know, man or woman, you know, older, young, you know, fast or strong, all these different options, you know. So the fact that she says this kind of implies to me that I think there is... You can always speculate about to what extent are the the changes random or not. Like, I think you can see, like, people talk about certain doctors, you know, uh, being sort of influenced by their experience, whether it's, like, you know, a, a particular, um, like, maybe the 10th doctor being a more, um, you know, open, you know, not quite as closed off as Eccleston is a reflection of, you know, the effect of Rose or something. So, like, it's not, it doesn't seem to me to be entirely random, but it seems that those other regenerations are at least uncontrolled. Like, if there's an effect going on, it's not necessarily willed by the doctor himself. Um, It might just be a, like, a side effect of whatever he's been through. Um, whereas this one is different. This is very deliberately, you know, he chooses this warrior figure as what, you know, he wants in this situation, which sort of sets this one apart from the others, you know, that it's not just him doing what comes naturally. It's sort of, you know, willed specifically under the circumstance. Um, and that kind of goes along with you know, there's this kind of sense of this is not entirely the way things are supposed to go. Like, you know, there's this almost kind of like, I don't want to say like a Faustian thing, but there's kind of this like deal with something, you know, like, you know, being sort of brought back from the dead and then drinking this sort of witch's potion, which like makes you into this like, warrior machine like this is not entirely a good thing you know from like 
you know, a healthy perspective. You know, I think we're supposed to kind of question like how, you know, like there is a kind of deal being made here of he's been resisting fighting and getting involved for so long. And it's at the point where he's willing to seemingly sell out his principles, I guess, um, in order to have the ability to do what needs to be done. So, you know, more suggestions like we got in the night, or not the night, the, the, um, what was it, the name of the doctor, about like how this is sort of a, this is the this is the regeneration we don't talk about. <laughs> like we're slightly right. we're slightly embarrassed about this one. You know, we kind of hide him down in our subconscious and we don't want anyone to know who he is or what he did. You know, so more ideas that you know, all the doctors have done made mistakes and done questionable things, but this one is kind of in a slightly different category, you know. Right, right. Um, yeah. And the general uh, reticence that the doctors we've seen so far have had to talk about just the time war stuff yeah. in general. And, and really, like, I mean, I don't, I mean, obviously I'm sort of guessing now what the 50th anniversary episode will be about, mm -hmm. but like, I, I like even just at the end of the last episode, like I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that that would have been a you know that that right. would that it would be about like the time war and the right. stuff that kind of has been hinted at um now obviously we've seen like the time lords as they're coming back like sort of the end of the time war era when when mm -hmm. i guess presumably the ninth doctor or maybe it's the war doctor who actually does it mm -hmm. uh at the time i was presuming it was the ninth doctor now right. i'm not so sure right um you know seals them off and in that whatever it is that seals them off there in the time lock thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and they come to break out of it. So like we see kind of, we see like from their perspective, kind of the end of the time war, but like, that's all we really know this point. Like we get hints and illusions here and there, but not like, like this is the first time where we actually see like an event, like within mm -hmm. the time war. And that is the eighth, contemporary. Yeah. And that is the eighth doctor who's, starting in the fight right, right. of this thing um and finds himself to not be worthy of it to not mm -hmm. be able to actually do it i get i mean one of one of the questions i guess i have is does that like i know i know so the eighth doctor was in the tv movie yeah uh introduced in the tv movie but i i remember when we were talking about him before that he like you said that like he actually went on to have like all this extra material mm -hmm. in audiobooks and novelizations and whatever you know stories and stuff yeah um so that like actually as a character the eighth doctor is fairly well fleshed out yes and has yeah. a lot of different adventures so is that time war stuff is there other stuff like sort of before this mm -hmm. you know where we introduced the, the eighth doctor into the time war, like, does any of that stuff cover that? Or don't you know? Or what, So, or, I or, haven't, or, and, and I, I and, haven't. And sorry, sorry, can I just, to, yeah. to clarify, like, I sort of assume that after Night of the Doctor aired, like, maybe mm -hmm. there was some additional stuff. I, I'm more thinking, like, before the Night of the Doctor aired, like. Right. Even into New Who, because there were, like, a right. few years there where, you know, between 2009 and 2013. Yeah. Uh, where, where. 
yeah. seeing like we know about the time war and we know kind of the period sort of the period of the time war like presumably there could have been some extrapolation of oh the eighth doctor could have been part of the time war right. kind of thing right um so anyway yeah um, that's my question on the table <laughs> so yeah and it's a good question um so and i haven't read or listened to a lot so there's a you know there's other people who could probably speak to this better than me but my understanding is that um I mean, so Russell Davies invented the idea of the time war with the new show. So it certainly didn't sure. exist as the time war prior to 2005. So anything between 1996, when the TV movie was, and that 10 years, um, didn't include, you know, in quotes, the time war. My understanding is that it did include, with the Eighth Doctor, some sort of big cosmic war, um, which the time war is kind of analogous to it so you can read those as contradictory you know as like why is he fighting into big you know apocalyptic wars or you can you can kind of read them as sort of the same thing it's just that we don't call one the time war you know because we hadn't invented that idea yet um so i think you can kind of make it fit or not you know depending on how you want um now, there are rights issues with um, Big Finish is the team that does the audio stuff, um, and which a lot of the classic doctors do like audio adventures with them. And I don't think Big Finish has very much, if any, rights to the new Who material. So things, okay. any new, so things like Weeping Angels and the Time War are sort of not under copyright so i don't think they've been able to go back and retcon new concepts in a whole lot that might be changing because within the last week they made a announcement that there's going to be a new series of audio stuff with paul mcgann and alex kingston as river song oh so whatever that means um you know how they fit her in and don't screw up the timeline uh we'll have to wait and see maybe that means that they are going to start to get more rights access to some of the newer material um mm. but i think that's been like the main reason why they wouldn't have been able to do that but sure. but like sure. i said in the eighth doctor novels and audio stuff there is this sense of this doctor being involved in some big you know universe shaking you know wars so you know whether or not they and, are called the time war um, right and maybe that there's a symbiotic thing like maybe you know davies knew about that stuff from the eighth doctor kind of, yeah and and extrapolated it and, out and, and called he, it a time war and he and, probably did you know <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. right right yeah. right so right like even and it, like even if they don't call it a time war like i'm sure there's ways that yeah, you can make people it kind can of fit. fit it together. Like maybe it's like the precursor to the time war. Exactly. Like you know, it's like it's the time conflict that leads to the that time war. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, something like that. I think like that's that. kind like, of how how it works, basically. Um, okay. So yeah, um, I had another point there, and now I forget what I was going to say. Um, but yeah. Uh, 
It's gone. I'll have to try to think of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've talked quite a bit, like we've got a number of things to talk about for this, uh, series of things. Yeah. So, I mean, we can go back to it. I think if, if you think of it and it's important, but yeah. definitely, um, I mean, definitely good stuff, obviously very relevant and poignant to discuss mm -hmm. as we move into the actual 50th anniversary episode next time. Oh, um, I thought of it. Sorry. Finish. <laughs> I was actually extending my comments there, hoping you would think hoping about it before I we moved it. on. No, okay. I, I, will, I did. I thought of it. Um, okay. The point about uh, the longevity of it, too. I think it's really interesting that when he regenerates and you get John Hurt and you just get that fuzzy sort of reflected image of John Hurt, it's clearly a much younger John Hurt, you know? And so there's also this suggestion that he fights this for for a bloody long time, you know that you know. Can we see how younger the, you mean than like the last younger time than we saw him. the one we the glimpse we got of in uh, yeah. in name of the doctor, you right, know, which right. is John Hurt as he is now. This seems to be like they took some image from some old movie or something, but he looks you know decades younger. Um, and we've seen like how long the eleventh Doctor can live and seemingly not age much at all, you know? Um, so the idea of the time war is, is a long and arduous struggle, it would seem, you know, a kind of centuries-long type thing. Um, right, right. So, you know, again, adding more years and more kind of missing moments into the Doctor's life that we didn't necessarily know about. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you use the word poignant. I think this little episode is very poignant. Um, and a kind of nice, nice little grace note to go into the 50th with this kind of highlight of one of the classics, too, you know, because we'll see from the Five-ish Doctors, there's this idea of they're just going to not care about the classic series in favor. Who cares if as long as Matt Smith and David Tennant are in it, you know, we're good. Um, but I think that this episode kind of shows that Moffat wants to celebrate the whole show, you know? And, like, yeah, the time war is a new concept, but, you know, bringing in one of the actors that you don't expect to... I love that little line of, I'm the doctor, but probably not the one you're expecting, you know? Yeah, um, right, right. You know, no, that he, was good. He seems kind of happy to be saying that line. So and um, and and we've talked before about, um, you know, with nine, how he sort of walks in and sort of is flicking his ears, and we're and like how we don't know how long. Like this gives, yeah. like this makes it more believable that it was really recent mm -hmm. that his, you know, you, you know, coming after the. The nesting consciousness is that right? Yeah. In the in the in the episode Rose, like that, yeah. this is like his first maybe major thing after the time war. Right. Uh, you know, it makes it more believable there because yep. without this sort of interstitial, mm -hmm. uh, you know, event set of events, it's like now we're wondering if it was like actually 
Christopher Eccleston doctor, you know, fighting the time war. Whereas now it's like, oh, we actually kind of know that there's this special war doctor mm-hmm. who uh, eventually will regenerate to Christopher Eccleston. Assuming there's not another. Assuming, yes. Always you know, assuming ass- there are Assuming there's between. not another yeah. in-between doctor. But even if it is, like, like it's easy to imagine that other potential doctor you know we'll, we'll call it like dr prime or whatever like if mm-hmm. there is another or, or dr asterisk right isn't it that the shippy <laughs> yeah. like the the, the 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 possible the you know doctor that yeah. links the two yeah. right. um the the you know it like still it. makes it easier to think about you know nine being you know a very new doctor mm-hmm. versus a potentially longer term doctor who just never happened to look in the mirror before right, right <laughs> you know um right. which is which is kind of what we discussed was a possibility mm-hmm. although i don't know that either of us necessarily believed that was the case we just didn't we didn't know no, so like this kind other, of yeah. adds more detail and gives more credence to that idea that mm-hmm. christopher eccleston is really new mm-hmm. um or that nine is really new as right. the doctor um yeah so Anyway, so we should talk about, I, I guess we should talk about the last day real quick. I don't yeah. know that I have a ton to say. Like, yeah. um, it's yeah. not, it, it's sort of like tangential story. It doesn't feature any doctors. No. It's just sort of like the soldiers on Gallifrey. Let's make sure the Daleks don't get us. If one Dalek gets through our city's toast, and of yeah, course more than of course, one yeah. gets through. Like and many, as soon many, as many, many. it's the Titanic thing of this ship's unsinkable, and you're they are like, oh, you should never say that. Right? Yeah, um, I mean, you know exactly what's coming yeah. as soon as they explain sort of the situation. Yeah, and the uh, kind of ominous welcome to Arcadia, you know, which is a name that has been mentioned as like a the fall of Arcadia. I think was. You know, one of the few details we ever got about the time warp was, you know, he right. was there at the fall of Arcadia. Um, so, and, and I guess the question is, like, is this, like, so, I mean, we don't, we, I mean, it's called The Last Day. So, sort of my assumption is that this is, this is where the time warp, like, this is the events immediately leading up to the frozen Right. The last Porsche. day of the time war seems to right. be the implication, yeah. Right, exactly. So So yeah, so like I don't I mean, again, I don't know that that's the case. That just seems to be the implication. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, and I think yeah, more important than anything in it is just again this idea. I think it is surprising like you said of we heard about the time war as this sort of mythic concept for so long. And I think certainly I never expected to ever see it um, or to get much detail. To, so then to suddenly be getting these, both these prequels that are contemporaneous with it and showing us pieces of it. So we're getting characters that were involved in it and you know, the actual action on Gallifrey and everything. It's sort of this like, you know, it's it's sort of like a like a jaws effect of like just seeing the little hints of it are more tantalizing. You just want to see the fin of the shark, you know. It's like, and then you know your imagination goes wild about what the real thing is like underneath, um, you know. So it I don't know that there's a ton of 
meat in this story to really dissect, but it kind of, I think, is hinting in that direction of, you yeah. know, this is something we should be thinking about, you know. Right, right. So, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know that we have to go any further than that, per se, but, um, I mean, interesting, I, it was just kind of like, okay, that's yeah. fine, like, it, it's, it's a bit of color to add, I think, to the entire thing. Obviously, another hint of what the content of the 50th anniversary mm-hmm. uh, episode will be, but, but not, uh, especially with the naming convention of Name of the Doctor. Yeah night of the doctor and then the last day you know yes. sort of the play and the contrast and the connections between those yeah. um and then and then we also watched the day of the doctor preview um maybe we do do you want to sort of save that till we talk about the episode sure next week i don't um, know yeah it, well, unless, unless there's something you want to say about it i guess that's fine no i mean there's that little trailer which I just think is really cool and fun. I don't think there's a lot to say about it of just, you know, the, um, the, you know, kind of all the like still statues of all the different doc, you know, the four, number, yeah. four, number four falling with his jelly babies and all that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I do want to go through this stuff real quick because I really don't want to do this next time. I really just okay. want to talk about the episode next time. So I that's, have, that's some, fine. I do have some production things. Um, before we get to the rest of our stuff here. Um, so just really quick, this was a huge Hugo year. Um, so you have uh, all in the same year at the for the short, you know, live action award. Um, Name of the Doctor, Day of the Doctor, An Adventure in Space and Time, and the Five-ish Doctors were all nominated for, you know, best short. Um, of course, they lost to the Reigns of Castamere, <laughs> which is kind of painful. Like, it's, you know, it's like you're stuffing the ballot box it's like and you're still stuffing, lose. Like, really, like, there's like five nominations and Game of Thrones comes in and, you know, that stupid Red Wedding uh, steals it. But, um, yeah. you know, which was kind of painful. But, um, but they, it, there was a lot of love at the Hugos for Doctor Who that year. Um, sure. And, uh, okay, so, um, some other, you know, the Day of the Doctor we'll talk about. It does have awards nominations, um, you know, Audience Appreciation Awards, some BAFTA, you know, for effects, um, nominations for, uh, the Hugo, the British Fantasy Award for TV episode, um, and actually, uh, John Hurt and we'll see a little bit of Billy Piper um, were, you know, had some nominations in there too. Um, Moffat uh, for uh, best uh, sci-fi film or TV script. And uh, Moffat and Nick Horan, who's the director who I've mentioned a couple times, were nominated for um, a Nebula Award, which is the kind of Ray Bradbury, um, the award name for Ray Bradbury at the Nebulas. Um, right. so, um, a couple things I want to mention that are special things, like, that, you know, just kind of made the whole thing even bigger. Um, it was shot and broadcast in 3D, so if anybody has 3D TVs at home, you can watch it that way. Um, and 3D actually plays a part in the episode, so even if you don't watch it on 3D, you'll see the role it was sort of meant to play. Um, 
Hmm. And so they actually... I, I actually... I actually do... I have the Blu-ray 3D version, but there I, don't you have go. A, I don't have a 3D TV, so... <laughs> I have... Then it that it comes work. with, like, all yeah. the different versions. Yeah, like, 3D, all the, like, but... Blu-ray DVD, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the one I have, too. Um, so, yeah, so... So they showed... So it was premiered on, you know, November 23rd, which is the actual 50th anniversary um, and they, like, just reading this stuff always blows my mind, the lengths that they went for this stupid episode of TV. They, so they broadcast it live, simulcast around the world. So there's normally, it's like the UK gets it and then the US gets it like five hours later, but like they did a simulcast. So everybody in the world gets to watch it at the same time. Um, so nobody gets spoiled and was also shown in theaters around the world and in 3D. Sure. So you could go to the movie theater and watch it live, um, which I actually did uh, the next day. I didn't do it live for the anniversary, but they showed it a couple of days later and I went and it was fun. Um, so it got a Guinness World Record for the largest ever simulcast of a TV drama, which is pretty cool. Um, and uh, it, during its first broadcast, it generated about 50,000 tweets, uh, which, you know, broke some kind of record, um, with a peak of almost 13,000 tweets per minute. Um, and had, you know... It's a lot, lot of tweets. It's a lot of tweets. And, um, you know, big, uh, big results in the UK, 10.18 million viewers, which... The UK is a small country, so it's a pretty large percentage. Um, and it's so it's the highest rating the show's had in the UK since The Next Doctor, which was the Christmas special, uh, one of Tenet's last Christmas specials. Um, mm. So a bit of a boost in the ratings there. Um, and, uh, you know, in the box office, it was up there with Gravity and The Hunger Games in terms of box office. So it was like rivaling the other movies that were in the theaters. Um, sure. And did a worldwide box office of 10.2 million. Um, so, yeah, and, and for America, it's, you know, the largest, uh, at the time it was the largest broadcast in BBC America history up until the following Christmas special. So, um, and the thing that cracks me up is that BB, the BBC and BBC America did like whole day long programming like it was like Doctor Who I mean it was Doctor Who for like a month but like the whole day was just wall to wall and they even had like live pre and post show discussion like with like like the Nerdist guy and all these things and it's like I'm watching this thinking the only thing I can think to compare it to is like the Super Bowl like there's mm -hmm. no other show I can think of where like you're watching simulcast live with the world and we have like a post show analysis <laughs> like like you know i was just sitting there thinking this is so bizarre but it's pretty cool and it kind of is unique in that way i think um and then okay so the last things really quick was just for the promotion um i mentioned the little trailer that they did but um it kind of ends with that hashtag save the day um which is a nice little double entendre you know um like sure. get it on your calendar, but also, you know, it's the day of the doctor and 
there may be some saving of the day going on. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, Moffat's comment being kind of poor Moffat saddled with the 50th anniversary and how do you live up to expectations and him saying that he wanted to, um, yes, celebrate the past and the history of the program, but also not forget to look forward to the future because it's about the next 50 years is kind of, that was kind of the context he put it in before the show was aired was, yes, we're thinking about the past, but also let's be thinking about the future too. Um, Cause I think sure. some of the sure. previous anniversaries in the show's history tended to be a kind of backward looking roll call of greatest hits. Um, and Moffat's kind of determination to not just, you know, do a clip show, but to actually move the story forward somewhere. So, um, just wanted to kind of put it all in context. Cool. So, I guess let's now talk about uh, An Adventure in Space and Time, um, which also yeah. premiered earlier that same day. Um, and was written. Uh, oh, okay. It at the same day as yeah. As the at least 50th. in the in the U.S. it did. Maybe in the U.K. they showed it a bit earlier, but in America it was on like that afternoon or maybe the night before. I think maybe the night before. Actually, now that I think about it, but it was like right around the same time. Um, and uh, so written, you know, by our own Mark Gatiss. Um, which apparently he'd been trying to get made for like a long time, like ever since before the show even came back. Um, and it kept getting put off, but now it kind of seemed like this is the time to do it. Um, so yeah. Um, and it also had some uh, award nominations, you know, a BAFTA TV award nomination for drama, editing, um, makeup and hair, and then we talked about the Hugo, so. Um, you said that you enjoyed this, so I did. why don't you tell me what you thought? Yeah, I, so, I mean, I did enjoy it. I, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, I kind of knew it was a, excuse me, a, a docudrama or a sort mm -hmm. of a historical drama. Yeah. Um, and, and I knew sort of a few vague details about, um, you know, just various things that we discussed even, you know, probably way back in our original, uh, you know, initial episode about sort of the way Doctor Who came about or whatever. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I like I like the story. I, it, you know, I don't I can't remember if you told me the actress is the same as. Um, oh, in Hyde. Yeah. As, as the same actress in Hyde. I may and have so forgotten like, to say that. Yeah. Like, like for the first like. 20 minutes I was, like, you know I was trying to figure out because like i knew she looked familiar yeah i couldn't quite place it and like i i thought a couple of different things and i kept like no no i don't think that's it and so finally i had to actually stop it and look it up because it was driving me like i wasn't even paying attention yeah to the story so i had to like i actually had to go back like a few minutes or whatever and but then i like looked up who it was and i'm like oh yeah 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 the actress from Hyde. so um so yeah, so yeah, good, Jessica Rain, yeah, good, uh, good stuff. I mean, it was really well acted, um, yeah. really well put together. Um, David Bradley's great. <laughs> I didn't know. I just love him in everything. Sure, I didn't know how, 
uh, far they were going to take it. Like I didn't, I, like I wasn't sure if they were. I mean, obviously they focused just on, you know, the first Doctor there mm-hmm. and and sort of the start of the show. But like I wasn't, like it wasn't until like there was like ten minutes left where I'm like, okay, they're probably not going to be getting into like other <laughs> like yeah. eras of Doctor Who or whatever. Yeah. So, um, not that that was a problem. Like it, like it was a good story to kind of talk about how it was being discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that. So yeah, I mean, it was a good, good story. Good. Uh, I thought they did it, did it well, and kind of showed. Um, I, I I like how they, like I liked the, not that it was extremely subtle, but like they didn't like overplay, you know, the minority aspects either of right. you know the the you know it's a woman in a man's world and yep. a and a, you know, Indian in a. Anglo world and you know that kind of thing or was he Indian or Pakistani or or whatever Indian yeah yeah okay Um, that's what I thought and gay Um, too I don't know if you picked up on that but um, I you know there were a couple there were a couple things I wasn't I wasn't I mean I wasn't entirely sure based on it so but yeah like I I thought that was it so yeah so just like like they did enough to let you know that 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 was the case but it wasn't like like I feel like there are definitely movies where they've tried to do the same thing where they've kind of like oversold the, the thing. Sure. And, and so like they just showed like how it really like, yes, you know, uh, this woman who's trying to make this show, you know, and coming up against obstacles, but she just did what she needed to do to get it done. Like yeah. it wasn't like, well, and, and I'm a woman too. You know, right. it was just like, so... it was just like, that's what she did. And it's so matter of fact about it in that, yeah, it's not really about their, you know, kind of struggles. It's not about the fact that they're minorities, but what it's about is this kind of growing sense of how did the show ever get made? Like, and that's part of it is that, you know, it's part of the miracle that it ever happened because these are not the kind of people who have power, you know, it like... It, it's a very madman sort of aspect of like her line about like tweed smoke and tweed and you know sweaty men and like it's this very you know uh old boys club at the bbc in the 1960s and they're not really interested in um diversity or you know you know giving opportunities to sort of inexperienced young people so you know, just the idea of, you know, that, that these two people somehow found a way to make careers for themselves in this environment and then created what turned out to be the network's sort of longest running golden property. So you kind of get this like unlikely heroes and, and, and the fact that Hartnell too is not exactly your leading man. Like he's this kind of cranky. Right cranky older actor he's a pain to work with he's his health yeah, is failing so he can't remember his lines all yeah, these I mean, things pretty pretty well you know although maybe he's had some good character roles he's like pretty washed up at that point yeah too, like he's not he's not like a big star that's drawing them in so it's sort of like you look at you know why what possessed Sidney newman to give these people the chances that he did but just his insight that you know they could do it and they did it and you kind of get the sense and maybe this is kind of romanticizing it in hindsight but i think it's true that like you you do get this idea that it's partly because it was made by 
this could never have been made by the uh, the old boys club. Like that, there's something in right. there's something in the show which, when you look at who made it, you go, well, of course it's weird and quirky and you know, like they're working with what they have, you know, like. And again, right. even just going back to, well, the TARDIS is a police box because we can't afford to build better sets. Like, that kind of making what you have work. And the fact that it was made by people who didn't have any privilege, that they just had to do the best with whatever they had. Um, you know, who were good at their jobs, but nobody was going to give them the best studio or the most money or, you know... Um, they had to sort of just, you know, will it into being. Um, and luckily, you know, Barry Lambert in particular seems like a very willful person who kind of made sure, sure that that happened. So I like the way it kind of sets up, you know, for something like Doctor Who with like, like that's a very nice message to kind of send is that like, you know, it's, under these adverse conditions that you get something really special, you know, and that right. it's not the heroes you expect. It's sort of, you know, the ordinary and kind of weird people who are doing, you know, the most interesting things. Um, so yeah, it kind of, I like the way it kind of frames the creation of the show in, uh, in that context. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up too is the way, um, it kind of makes really, um, subtle, like not overt, but just very subtle nods to even like, you know, the themes of the show, like, you know, this, like it, it's, it's not, it goes beyond just being like a making of documentary and actually becomes like a companion piece. And I think you can kind of see themes in the show reflecting in like the real world themes. So this kind of idea of like, you know, change being the constant in Doctor Who, that the reason it works is because it's always changing. So we're always having to say goodbye to doctors and companions and, you know, redo the format or redo the writing or whatever it is. Um, and that that kind of being what makes it work, but that that also being a sad thing because you're always constantly saying goodbye to, you know, the people that you like or the, you know, the things that you've been used to. And you kind of get the same thing of following William Hartnell as he kind of falls in love with this job that he didn't realize would be so important to him. And th things start changing and people start leaving. So you kind of get I think like there's this suggestion of Verity as a kind of companion, you know, of like that she, and there's even on her leaving party, like she, they're on the TARDIS set and she turns and kind of exits the TARDIS set with him still in there. Like as if they're the doctor and the companion. Sure. Um, sure. And, uh, you know, the dialogue about like, you know, he's staring at the police box and the policeman saying, sir, you have to move along now. You're in the way, like get out of here so we can, redo the format of the show and everything <laughs> like those kind of nods of you know and then the obvious being the 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 overt quoting of the 10th doctor um with i don't want to go um 
you know, yeah. which is a, yeah, which I did is, catch that, yeah, which is a big. I was shocked when they did that. It was like I was not expecting to hear that line or to have that much of an overt like. Here we're overtly connecting the kind of pain of the fictional character mm-hmm. who has to change and doesn't want to and is afraid with real world pain of being afraid of change, you know, like, I really liked that. I thought that was a nice touch and that was more yeah, kind of explicit than I expected it to go. But, um, sure. And, and I mean, like who knows and who really cares if like he ever said those actual words, you exactly. know what I mean? Like it, it, it's that thing of like the sentiment is true, right? It, it's the thing of like like uh, 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 Ursula K. Le Guin talks about in the in her introduction to the you know revised edition of Left Hand of Darkness, where she talks about you know science fiction being lies that tell the truth, you know, exactly. kind of thing. Like it, yeah. it, it's that very much of like like at that moment. Yes, it's a fictionalized version of history, and that's fine because it tells it in a way that, like, you don't even you don't even care if it's the historical truth because it it hits that note of something much yeah. deeper. Yeah. Um. And and of yeah, and and the cameo um, yes. moment with Matt Smith. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind another of the, shocking kind of like. <gasps> Guess, the link, you know, the, yeah, the up. linking, uh, you know, between the entire series up to that point, um, mm-hmm. you know, definitely, definitely is a, a pretty big, uh, you know, pretty big connection to make there. Um, and, and I think just that reassurance of, okay, we've acknowledged that change is scary and painful, but we also acknowledge that it's good and it's necessary and the the show lives on kind of thing of, you know, like, and I guess like to extrapolate that further, like, change doesn't mean the end. You know, like, there's more to, you know, your life than the way it is right now. That there's something that, you know, is kind of immortal that lingers on. I guess. Um, so this idea, as 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 he's mourning the end of the show for him. You kind of get a glimpse, he gets a glimpse of, and again, this has nothing to do with Hartnell. Hartnell had no idea that the show would have the life that it did, but I think it's okay because that sentiment is true of, you know, you want to know that there's going to be a future and that you'll leave a legacy. Um, Sure. You know, so you kind of have Matt Smith there saying, it's okay, you know, um, so yeah, it's very sweet. It and in a way, is that moment is almost like the the Van Gogh episode. Yeah. Of of you know taking him into the future and seeing what yep. it, even and that's knowing true. I never thought about that, but that's even nice. knowing that it doesn't actually change the outcome mm-hmm. of of what happened and and not, I mean, you know, Hartle didn't kill himself or anything. Yeah. I mean. You know, it, it's not, no. it's a different situation. I'm not trying to imply that, but like, but there is this sense of like that connection and there's, there's a sort of peace, even if it's momentary, a yeah. sort of peace that you get by knowing 
that you've helped build this thing. But I also, I mean, I don't want to, so those are obviously fictionalized moments. I mean, Hartnell obviously had no idea that Matt Smith would be, right. <laughs> you know, the, the culmination down the road. Well, not even culmination because he doesn't end there, but like, right. you know, um, but that, you know, I want to talk about like, to the actual factual stuff that mm-hmm. the actual factual um, <coughs> stuff that uh, that happened because um, like I don't I don't remember if this has come up before if it did I don't like it's certainly not a fact that mm-hmm. I retain um, but about the fact that like it was the the uh, Kennedy assassination yeah you know right on November, at, yeah yeah on on the on the day it aired November 23rd um, yeah and so or maybe I think in Texas or, it might have been the 22nd already but it was basically at the same time so yeah that's true that um or 24th I'm going backwards I have my number dyslexia but any whatever it was basically well, at I the thought, same time I thought because it was because it, it, w- it would have been later in the evening of the day because like in Texas it would have been still afternoon or whatever right right, when right. It aired. that's right um Right, so it is the same day, and yeah, so basically nobody watched because everyone was worried about right. the news. Um, yeah, or, or yeah, I, I mean, whatever, whatever the timing, the exact like it was either that day or the day before or whatever yeah. it was. It um, interrupted. The, it, it completely, yeah, it completely yeah. interrupted the the schedule and stuff. And so, like again, it's like that thing of kind of what you were saying about like you know, had the old guard sort of been at the helm, they mm-hmm. would have said, ah, just scrap it, bad luck, move on to yeah. the next, you know, thing. It didn't work out. Shame, but, you know, let's do something else. But this was, you know, this was, again, you know, people who were fighting kind of for their lives, yeah. or at least their livelihoods. Their careers, yeah. Yeah, their, their livelihood and their show. And so, you know, sort of saying all right, we're going to re-air it right. on a day that a president doesn't get shot, right. you know, yeah. and, and, and then we're going to air the second episode and, you know, it's going to go well. And it, you know, I mean, obviously it turns out to do so because then it becomes really big and whatever. Yeah. So, um, I don't yeah. know. And, um, the little, uh, <laughs> kind of cheeky, but the, um, intercut between Daleks and Kennedy, like, exterminate and the gun goes off you know you kind of have this sure, you know sure it, it it's a slightly sure. uh not the most respectful moment but you know it kind of works i think you know that as you're introducing the main villain of the series you have yeah. uh the assassination sort of you know going on at the same time um yep uh and and all, well and then also you get the kids on the bus uh with their exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. Yeah. And like, she's like, you know, realizing yeah. how like, this is like, this is, I mean, obviously it kind of is a kid's show, but like, mm-hmm. like that's also like, that's the appeal. I mean, that's why it's been such a success is because it did appeal to the kids and, and still appeals to kids. And now it appeals to adults who grew up on the show, and right. you know, and, not just adults who grew up on the show, but other adults too. And, and just that fact that like, I mean, that's gotta be like an amazing realization that you've hit on something that's Mm -hmm. universal and going to be beloved. Like you're seeing it develop into something that people are talking about and interacting with and, 
you know, pretending in, in, in a, you know, in moments where they have nothing else to do, uh, you know, as sort of their escape from yeah. the real world kind of thing. Like, yeah. Can only imagine what that, that must be like, but it's got to be a good feeling. <laughs> well, and, um, and I think it's nice, too, that Verity Lambert died in 2007, so she got to see the show come back, too. Um, and there's a, sure. there's a great interview with her and Russell Davies um, where she kind of says that very thing. Like, I, I, she was kind of amazed that it was a hit at the time, and she's blown away that it's still a hit now. So, mm. that yeah, they got to be gratified by that. And that, you know, and the scenes of Hartnell, which I think are, from what I understand, based on real kind of accounts of he would go to the park and like play with kids like as the dog like and it was this cranky curmudgeon old man who wasn't really interested in kids but there was something about the character and the show that opened up this whole other side and he was thrilled to you know reenact scenes for you know the kids in the park um so for him too like having that kind of late career surge I think was a really uh a really nice thing. Um, sure, sure. And all the little, that's historical too, the little flubs when he forgets this, the, the, the funny one about check the fornicator, you know, um, you know, all the little <laughs> right, moments right. when he, uh, which was very sad, you know, I think, you know, that those can be funny, but also it would be tough to kind of have with your actor, you know, uh, having those sorts of loss of, you know, communication and memory and all those things. Yeah, the faculties, um, yeah. But, you know, again, necessity being the mother of invention, leading to the most genius idea of being, you know, I like that recurring thing of nobody's irreplaceable and you can't have Doctor Who without Doctor Who. And it's like, well, yes, that's sort of true, you know, but... In the brain of Sidney Newman, this idea of recasting, which is sort of the linchpin of the whole thing, um, right? Being what saves the show. So. Yeah, right. I mean, the show would have ended after what three seasons? Or I think so. Yeah, something. Yeah, um, yeah, three years. So. Yeah, like, like I mean, to go from three years to fifty years, like mm -hmm. with one pretty simple idea yeah. <laughs> overall like that definitely definitely is is a big thing so yeah yeah well good um so yeah no i i really enjoyed it i'm i'm uh glad we watched it and i think i think you're right like the um connections between sort of the Doctor Who themes and the events of the real world are really well tied together, even mm -hmm. if they're not always 100% maybe historically accurate. I sure. think it, 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 it does a good job of sort of tying that stuff. Yeah, and I, and I think, like you said, they're not always meant to be. They're meant to be that kind of yeah. celebration, not just of the, the factual origin of the show, but of the spirit, you know, and, and mm -hmm. those things get at the spirit, I think. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, okay, well, I do, we don't have to spend a lot of time, because as we said, comedy is not meant to be dissected, and the best thing to do with comedy is just watch and laugh and, you know, not uh, 
breaking a thing to find out what it is. Yeah. But um, uh, but I also, do want to. Oh, sorry. I do need I do need some time tonight to pretend to start watching the special <laughs> episode. I know. So. Um, well, it's a bit longer than usual, so. Um, yeah, which means I'll just fall asleep at an earlier point. Yes. The, you know, uh, my so the Five Ish Doctors reboot. Yes. Uh, my sole comment for this episode was, ha, exclamation point. Um, <laughs> which is good. Which which is an understatement, because I, I found it pretty funny. I mean, it's it, it, obviously, like, it's meant to be, but it's, uh, yeah. I, I don't I don't mean that to to be, like, sarcastic or anything. I actually yeah. did find Genuinely it Genuinely mean so. it. I, yeah. yeah. I, I think it is pretty wonderful. Um, and, yeah, I mean... We're not going to go through every single joke, and I think there are lots of jokes that <laughs> that I don't get, you know, and that are sure. that go over sure. my head. Um, but I think even a watcher of the new series will appreciate, you know, a lot of it. Um, you know, so I don't know. We can just pick out a couple, well, you know, and moments so here. We both sort of mentioned John Berriman's uh, cameo, <laughs> or 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 not cameo. I mean, yeah, it's a cameo. I guess I guess cameo. Like I, it, I, I hesitate to say cameo because I feel like it's thirty minutes of just cameo it's all cameos. Cameo. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, and like it's, so. It's, it I, to speak more broadly, it's it's just the um, the volume of cameos. It's the okay. I knew the classic doctors would be in it, but. They get freaking everyone, you know, down yeah. to Peter Jackson and Ian McKellen, you know. That really surprised <laughs> like, like, those are the two who surprised me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and have, his little, little bloke, bird poo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I half expected when, when, like, Peter Jackson runs over to Ian McKellen there and is, like, talking to him. Like, I have expected when he said, like, BBC, like, I have expected, like, Ian McKellen to jump up and say, why wasn't I invited? Or something right, like that. Right. Like, you know, to be like, it, like, that is actually more important than, you know, yeah. <laughs> this this little movie that you're putting yeah. together. Right. Um, no, but, oh, yeah. Yeah, the fact that they got them to do it. They're such good sports. And everybody in this, I just think, is such yeah. a good sport. And, 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 I, and, I, and, sorry, and I just have to say, I love, like, the frequent, it, you know, I love, like, with all the older doctors, like they kind of keep mentioning their own thing. Yeah. And so like the mention of, Oh, you know, the Hobbit, you yeah. know, like I was in the Hobbit yeah. or like, well, I was waiting on the set of the Hobbit, you yeah. know, like, and he's like wearing the, the... Hobbit t-shirts and reading <laughs> right. the book. And <laughs> right. right. I, yeah. That was really great because I don't, I mean, like I, I knew he had played one of the doctors, mm -hmm. but like, I've never seen like the episodes with him. So like, like, even though it's, it's one of those things where, like, you intellectually know something. Yeah. But until you see him, like, in the... Con and, I like, I didn't see him as a doctor here either. Right. But, like, at least it's, like, now in that context of, like, oh, yeah, like, I can totally see... Yeah. The, the distinction here. And, like, thankfully, like, I'm not picturing him only as Radagast the Brown. Right. Uh, right. Ridiculous as he is. Yes. Uh, in that. So, um... Yeah. No, and it's th just That was so... a lot of fun. It's so teasing and affectionate, too. Like, just taking yeah. Mickey out of everyone, of like, you know, Sir Ian, can you do this scene by yourself? Well, it might be an improvement. Like, <laughs> like <Right>. it's actually, <laughs> like, he doesn't know who he is, and he'd rather do the scene by himself anyway. Um, right. And, it, like, well, and to go back to Barrowman, yeah, like, just the jokes of, he, that he sings his show tunes the whole way to Cardiff. Um and has his, you know, rather than 
whatever kind of secret crazy wild lifestyle he gets up to, his secret, you know, crazy lifestyle is a wife and kids, you know, and they're kind of shocked. I had no idea. Um, you know, like inverting what you expect John Barrowman is hiding in his van. Um, right, right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the Moffat stuff too, you know, of, it's one of the doctors. Which one? <laughs> like, he's just getting constant. Right, yeah, I, right. I love, like, like the secretary is, like, taking the calls. Yeah. And, like, yeah, yeah. Screening um, all his calls. And, and, right, and, like, each of them are just letting it be known that they're available. Yeah. Uh, you know, you get, like, the kids who, like, don't care. Like, they're excited that, like, David Tennant and, right. like, Matt Smith might be in the, the special episode. But, right. like, they don't give a crap about, you know their yeah. father not right. being in it or whatever right. so like um yeah just like those and little bits of like home life you colin know, that... colin baker locking his family in to watch his right. dvds right like he knows they're gonna try <laughs> yeah. to escape yeah. at the first chance but yeah um... but he's taken care of that um uh also georgia and david um georgia with her giant pregnant belly and eating ice cream off a stick of celery you know so like apparently because remember right i don't know if you remember that her father has the celery right. on his lapel so apparently they're like celery obsessed um right. but she's pregnant so she's just eating you know gallons of ice cream right and, David, and like he I, I love that he has to use like his family connection to yeah. like get get tenant to get open, the, the, open door the door and, and um <laughs> You know, and, and Tennant apparently couldn't care less that she's in labor, like, right now. Like, I was going to ask right. her something. Eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see. Yeah. No, um, I mean, lots of funny. Like you said, like, I don't know that we want to dissect it or anything. Yeah. Like, just noting sort of favorite moments. Um, I, I, I like, I mean, it's sort of a sketch, so it's not, like, heavy on plot. But there is enough yeah. of a plot of, like... You know, there's these three former doctors, you know, doctor actors who get in there. And I I, I, I do love the, um, you know, the eventual, like, they're going to be Daleks. But then, like, they get cut. that doesn't even, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that gets cut. But then, like, they do still at least get in, like, a few shots of mm -hmm. as, like, these other whatever they were. I don't even remember, like, what the with the sheets over yeah. their heads or whatever like they were um we'll get to that and you can imagine that they're under there <laughs> okay i w yeah i wasn't sure like how much of that was actual footage from right. the the 50th anniversary or not but but yeah just the fact that like there is this sort of like did they get in did they not get in right. you know like that they are like they and and of like perfect that like you know former doctors are in the dalek mm -hmm. uh you know uh uh, forms or whatever so yeah. just just and, kind of fun and playing I think gentle ribbing of this kind of fan anxiety of Moffat only cares about the new doctors he doesn't care about the old doctors you know sure. that kind of I'm mocking you know I'm sorry but it, it's kind of acknowledging that and having fun with it of like they're having to like sneak their way on and picket line and all these like desperate lengths that they go to that you know Right. Um, like the new show is just going to completely uh, neglect the old, which, as we've seen from the Night of the Doctor, wasn't 
entirely the case, um, you know. Sure. Um, but I think it, it kind of, it is addressing a real concern and kind of having a little bit of fun with it. Um, and just to kind of finish off with this idea of, I like this idea of this pecking order that, again, as the show changes, mm -hmm. you're on top and then you're gone in your old news. So, you know, right. these doctors used to be the doctor, but now they're like reduced to signing things at conventions and begging for work and all these things. But then my favorite part of the whole thing is the reveal that apparently the bottom rung on the totem pole is Russell Davies. <laughs> and that he just wants to be in right. the stupid, you know, 50, you know, five-ish doctors reboot movie. He doesn't even call Moffat. He goes to, and Davison's kind of smug. He gets to be the one to screen his calls now. Like, you know, um, yeah. you know, and I, I just love his rambles of his ideas of um you know i could i could be the doctor and i could save you or you could just die and i could be there and you know um keldomage being a favorite line of mine um kind of a little <laughs> parody of allonzi there um but yeah um it just yeah. seems like you know i don't really know what these people are like in real life or what it's like to work with any of them, but it gives the impression of a very nice community to be involved in of, you know, all these people who sort of volunteered their time and their egos to sort of be made fun of, you know, in this video. Um, it like, it's certainly one of the most enjoyable things I think that, you know, uh, came out of this period of the show, I think. Sure, sure. Definitely, uh, definitely a fun thing. Um, and yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Well, we didn't go as far over as I feared. Um, well, next time we will have an episode of Angel and we'll also finally, after many, many delays, get to the 50th anniversary so very cool sounds good see you then